Welcome to Keep the Republic with Dr. Daniel Bobinski, editor of True Idaho News. Keep the Republic is brought to you by the Political Action Committee Conservatives of and Carmen Glancy with Homes of Idaho Real Estate. And now, here's Daniel. Well, hello and welcome to Keep the Republic. Dr. Daniel Bobinski here, your host for the next half an hour as we decompress after the election. Uh, before we jump in with our special guests today, I want to give thanks. This is November, the month for giving thanks. I want to thank our sponsors for this show. Conservatives Of is the founding sponsor for this show. Conservativesof.com is a political action committee that helps get conservative Christian candidates elected. They stand up for conservative principles and causes and ballot issues and those kind of things that focus on Christian morals. That's what they're all about. If you'd like to support them, you can donate by going to conservativesof.com and donating. They are the, the original sponsor of this show, and uh, without your support, it's really difficult to keep this thing going. So we really do uh, want to encourage you to help them out because they help us out, and they also help out Christian candidates. Another sponsor for our show, Carmen Glancy with Homes of Idaho Real Estate. She's been helping people since 2011 with investment properties, residential properties, horse properties, new construction. You can see why so many people give Carmen a five-star rating. If you visit her website, which is simply idaho-relocating.com, it's idaho-relocating.com. Call or text Carmen also at 208-559-7753. That's 208-559-7753. There's is an excellent review online for Carmen. She sa it says that she's the best real estate agent I could ever have hoped for. She helped me expertly navigate some of the challenges that came up during the home buying process. I really appreciate the way she handled some difficult conversations and worked to bring the deal to a close in the most serendipitous way. Carmen Glancy with Homes of Idaho, thank you also for sponsoring Keep the Republic. Well, as I said, we're going to decompress. Uh, we could say debrief, but I'm going to choose the word decompress because there's just been so much pressure. Uh, you, as you've been driving around town, you've probably seen all the political signs and people going, vote, vote, vote. And there's a lot of pressure on that. We're going to decompress a little bit. With me in studio today is my co-host on the True Idaho News Podcast, Josh Gibbons, also host of the What's Happening Idaho Podcast. Josh, welcome to Keep the Republic. Daniel, thank you for having me here today. Glad to have you back here. And also back joining me is Brian Allman, who does the podcast that, I forget the name of your podcast, but it's a fantastic podcast and very well received. Got great compliments last time you were on the show. Brian Allman, welcome back to Keep the Republic. Thanks for inviting me. Well, you guys have been watching the stuff happening here in the state just as much as I have, maybe more. Uh, we have some great wins in the state. We have some things that make me kind of disgusted in the state. Uh, let me just throw it to you, Josh, and say, just off the top, what's your basic impression, your feedback from this last election? Well, you know, uh, a lot of people were really helpful that a independent candidate would take the governor's race. When I predicted it, I said he was going to get about 19 to 21 percent of the vote. I was pretty darn close. But uh, as we saw, uh, Governor Little did, of course, take it. Uh, another race that I was watching closely was the Attorney General's race. We had Republican Raul Labrador against Tom Arkush, who was the Democrat. A lot of Republican establishment type were saying, let's go with Arkush. So we saw that that was overwhelmingly rejected by the voters. Now, here's the exciting thing here in Idaho. Uh, 
we had SJR 102 that was on the ballot. And what that does is it allows the legislative body to call themselves back into session with the majority, right? Now, why that's so important is, is because you'll remember that Governor Little locked us down and, and he had the ability to control the whole show. Um, nobody else was able to say, hey, let's, let's discuss this. He had to call him back into session. So Idaho voters were able to make that determination that, you know what, we want to have our legislative body, the people closest to us, make these decisions. That's why we sent them there. Yeah, well, unfortunately, that bill got a lot of negative press from the people in IACI, the Idaho Commerce and Industry people, who, in my opinion, pulled the marionette strings for Governor Little, and they didn't want it. Well, of course, they wanted to be able to pull the marionette strings because they're a big business and they want what they want when they want it. So I couldn't believe that they were they were advertising heavily that we would have year-round legislation if 102 passed. And that was a bald-faced lie. You have to, as you said, a majority, you have to have 60% of the Senate and 60% of the House both agree that we need to come back into session in order to come back into session. Our legislators are... They're, they're citizen legislators. They have their own jobs. They come here, they sacrifice their jobs, and they put it on hold for several months to come down here and get stuff done for us. They don't want to be down here all year round. They don't want that at all. So this whole notion that we're going to have, that we're pushing for year round, no, we're not. No, we're not. So I couldn't believe the lies, and I'm really glad that that did pass. Yeah, absolutely. Let me toss it over to you, Brian. What are your thoughts on this last election? At the state level, I think we had a lot to celebrate. Um, there was, uh, you know, a few races that didn't go our way. Uh, the constitutional amendment obviously passed, uh, despite, as you said, Iaki's uh, media blitz and spending blitz to try and knock it out. The attorney general race, I look back at all those Republicans or so-called Republicans who came out to endorse Tom Arkush. And in my first episode over at What's Happening Gem State, I really tore into them. But uh, and that's the name of your podcast. That's that. That's my new one, yes, sir. And my my feeling then was that these Republicans or so-called Republicans were counting on their name recognition. But a lot of people have moved into the state in the last five, ten years who don't know them, and so I didn't think that their endorsement would carry that much cachet. And I think this uh, election result proves it. Raul actually ran ahead of Governor Little. He had about ten thousand more votes than the governor did. Despite this, you know, the media was in Arkusha's corner. These former Republicans were in Arkusha's corner. And uh, he really showed that there is a hunger in Idaho for somebody who can be a champion of liberty. And I was very surprised at the uh, event down at the Grove Hotel where the Republicans had gathered Tuesday night for their party, their, their election day party. When, when uh, Labrador got up to give his speech, he called out those folks. He basically said, you're washed up, you're gone, you're passe, you're, you're past tense. We're moving forward with this Republican Party. And I happen to uh, agree with him that there's this establishment base that uh, I, I think you refer to them as former Republicans. I love that. That's what they really are. They're former. They, Fred Martin. Uh, Patty Ann Lodge, these are people who ran as Republicans for years, but voted like Democrats. And I've been to say, you know, with, with Republicans like these, who needs Democrats, right? You've got these people who, they'll vote pro-life, they'll vote pro-2A, 
But everything else is big state programs, big state programs. And that's Democrat. That's statist. We don't want that. The Republican Party platform is small, limited government, local accountability. So, yeah, I really love the phrase former Republicans. Yeah, you know, with uh, Raul Labrador as well, you got to understand that this isn't a new thing for him. When he was the chairman of the Republican Party, actually, correction, when he lost his bid for governor when he ran against Tommy Alquist and Brad Little, one thing he pointed out at the Republican Party event was, hey, while, you know, Brad Little won, you need to understand that the majority rejected these ideas. The majority went with somebody who was not the establishment pick. So that's important to remember. Oh, def- definitely. And the fact that, like I said, he got about 10,000 more votes than the governor here. Uh, they, they were both in, in very interesting races. It, it really shows that there is, you know, people out there who are looking to our leaders for somebody who's willing to call out the, you know, the, the the people who will cross the line and vote for Democrats or endorse Democrats. You know, they're looking for boldness, and you don't see that with too many politicians these days, especially in the higher levels. It's it's like, look at the governor himself. He wants to play it safe. He didn't want to do any debates. He uh, just wanted to run on very positive ideas of you know we have great growth in Idaho. We have we're cutting regulations, we're cutting taxes. He doesn't want to touch the really controversial issues. And that's what I admire about uh, our next attorney general, Raul Labrador. He's, he's willing to go out there and say things that might not be popular, but a lot of people really want to hear it. I was very disappointed with Brad Little when he came out and said, well, his campaign came out and said that his record was indisputable. And that's why he wasn't going to debate. And it's like, well, if it's so indisputable, then why don't you defend it? And then I thought about it. Well, wait a minute. They're, they're telling the truth. It's indisputably full of lies. And that's why he doesn't want to debate because he's going to get called out. In fact, I'm, I'm not pulling any punches. The next four years, I'm just going to call it like I see it. Brad Little, to me, now is lying little. Because, and it's not little lying. It's a lot of lying. And he is very much deceiving the people of Idaho with a lot of different things so that he can stay in power. And this is scary to me. Were you, were you Now, Josh, I know you were there at, at the Grove Hotel Tuesday night. Were you, Brian? I wasn't. I had just finished a 15-hour shift as a poll worker, and I was ready to go home. You were, you were done. Well, I was amazing. Uh, now, I was, I was with Josh. Josh, we were doing a recording for your podcast mm-hmm. down there at the Grove, and they said, okay, Brad Little has just been announced the winner. He's going to give his speech, and we all left to go down to the main hall. And they announced Brad Little, and Josh, did you hear those boos? I heard, you know what's funny is, is I heard boos, of course. Yes, I heard those. But what was even better was is that people were actually cheering for him for his accomplishments. Yay, let's go Big Pharma. Yay, let's go, you know, dealing with his lockdowns. Great job locking down. We're proud of you, Brad Little. So they were heckling him. They were heckling him big but time. But they were doing it based <laughs> off of reality. Yes. Everything that he has supported, they were saying, good job, you did it. <laughs> I heard that. And I heard somebody turned around and challenged somebody to a fight for, for pointing out the truth. Yeah, and, and I was actually right there. And the guy looked at him and said, why do you want to fight me? I'm, I'm saying... I'm congratulating him for all the things that he's accomplished. <laughs> well, then somebody actually yelled out uh, very loudly the need for grocery repeal. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you noticed, as soon as that happened, they killed his mic. They cut his mic. And I was very also disappointed that here the governor of the state gets out there to read verbatim, word for word, his speech. Whereas if you see any other governor win an election on election night, they get out and they speak from the heart. Yeah. 
they, they know their principles. They're internalized. It's part of their character. And for our governor to have to get up there and read his principles, all prepared documents, which I will bet my next couple of paychecks that he didn't write himself, uh, he just got up and read. And then when he got heckled like that, oh, grocery tax relief, and, and they killed his mic, I'm thinking, boy, his handlers are on it. They turned off the mic so he couldn't respond something stupid on live TV. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Anyways, um, he's not the only person we want to talk about. We also had uh, Scott Bedke take the lieutenant governorship. Your thoughts on that? You know, it was to be expected. Uh, I think we knew that he was going to win. And, you know, the interesting thing about this is, is that he did have a Democratic opponent, but it was not an ugly fight like we saw in the primary where people were actually emotionally invested. I think it was just one of those things for the most part. People just said, I'm going to vote Republican. I have not heard a single person excited about that race since the primary. I was seeing so many voter guides when it came to the, the lieutenant governor's slot, it just said nothing. There was no recommendation. Yeah. Well, I think one thing to point out that is interesting is is pro-life did get more, who ran as constitutionalist, did get more votes than he has ever gotten. So I think that's still another way that people are saying we're not happy with the status quo. Yeah. We're not happy with the direction of Idaho. Looking, looking at that race, um, I, I know the Democrat candidate in that race ran her campaign entirely on the issue of abortion. That was all she seemed to ever talk about whenever I caught her on social media or wherever. And uh, obviously, the people of Idaho reject that. Uh, looking at Scott Begke, though, and at Governor Little as well, you know, we're talking about you know charisma and governors, you know, candidates speaking from the heart. I don't think either of those men really are you know, very outgoing. They're not, uh, you know, great speakers or orators, but they've come up through this system that exists in the state. And if we want to change anything, we're going to have to figure out a way to change that system that keeps producing leaders who are beholden to special interests and have their entire, their, their entire power base is those special interests. Here's my concern. Um, as one of the legislators mentioned to me Tuesday night at the Grove Hotel, they said, our problem, our concern is Scott Bedke, in, while he was Speaker of the House, was very adept at taking the newbies, the new people, who had ran as conservatives and had hoped to be conservatives, and somehow swayed them, convinced them, who knows, was it bullying, was it bribing, was it, was it terrorizing them, who knows what. But they decided not to caucus with the liberty-minded folks. They decided to stick with the establishment-minded folks. And now we've got a Senate in this state uh, we'll get to those guys in a second. But our Senate is going to look awesome in Idaho this year. Uh, we had one or two conservatives last year, 1.5, 1.9 conservatives last year. We've got like 12 to 15 good, solid conservatives in the in the Senate this year. But this legislator was saying, my concern is now Scott Bedke, as lieutenant governor, will oversee the Senate. And so he is going to probably want to woo those newbies over into the establishment way of thinking. Brian, what are your thoughts on that? I think that is a concern. However, I think, you know, based on the way that the House and the Senate are different, he doesn't quite have the same hands-on, you know, power in, over the Senate that he did as House Speaker. You know, t talking about the, you know, patronage he probably built up, when I was researching for a Substack article a couple of months ago, I found that uh, Bedke has, as representative, had ran unopposed for, I think, 14 years. Uh, nobody would primary him. Nobody challenged him in the general. 
And yet each year he would have tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars in campaign contributions. So he was building up a war chest. And I'm sure I you know I I don't want to imply anything untoward, but I'm sure that you know there was issues of you know sharing that with other candidates. That, and supporting that's other beyond candidates. question. Yeah. I, I have seen the financial statements in the state, the Suntime reports, where Scott Bedke is giving money from his campaign to other people's campaign. I found out that that's legal. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's allowed to do that. But when you see five hundred dollar and thousand dollar donations to other campaigns. Uh, and none of them conservative, thank you very much. All of them we would consider to be middle of the road, squishy, you know, establishment type Republicans, people who don't subscribe to the full Idaho state depart- uh, state platform for the Republican Party. When he's giving those kind of donations, I call that buying influence. Yeah. You know, we do have to point out one thing, though, the benefit of Scott Bedke being the lieutenant governor instead of Speaker of the House. And that's the fact that he is not going to be casting votes. His influence is going to dwindle. So in the House, he was able to vote. He was able to influence. Really, the lieutenant governor's race and and what you get when you are lieutenant governor is you're a tiebreaker. You oversee the Senate, but you don't vote on every issue. I mean, look at Janice McGeehan. She voted once in two years. Mm -hmm. That's it. So his power is going to dwindle. And you're going to see where there's going to be a power shift and a fight, I believe, in the Senate uh, for the majority leader. And that's where the power is going to come from. But here's what I will say about the Senate and why I get so excited about this. Man, if I was a dog, my tail would be wagging. My tongue would be out. I'm so excited. (laughs) And that's that we have people that are truly, I I would say, they don't care about a political career or advancing their status. You have people who truly care about, hey, I'm here to do the work of the people who sent me here. And they're going to be rock stars in the Senate. And it's totally going to shift. Brian? I, for one, I've been excited for a long time, ever since the primary, really, to go down to the Capitol in this next session, sit in the Senate gallery and watch debate with Brian Lenny and Tammy Nichols and Dan Foreman and uh, Glenita Zwiedefeld and Scott Herndon, you know, talking and debating policy in our Senate. I mean, they're bringing so many great voices to the discussion that I think have been lacking in the last couple of years. Yeah, we've had a lot of folks in that in that uh, body of legislators who are beholden to special interests. And I really pray, and I'm saying, Lord God, please, do not let Scott Bedke sway these people into looking at dollars and favors and perks and that kind of things in exchange for principles. We've yeah. got to stand on principles. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, if, by the way, if you're just joining us, you are tuned in here to Keep the Republic. This is Daniel Bobinski. We are speaking with Josh Gibbons and Ryan Allman about the election. We've been talking about the governorship, lieutenant governorship. I want to shift now and talk a little bit about what you guys find to be the ahas in the various races, because there were several races around the state that uh, were, shall we say, newsworthy. And let me just throw this to Josh, because I know you're chopping at the bit. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, you know, District 15, right? Mm-hmm. That, that of course, is it does lean Democrat. But look, we got a win. We have a representative who won who is a Republican. Dory but, Healy. Dory Healy, exactly, yep. The one thing that I found really disappointing was is we could have had Cody Galloway, which would have made an even more conservative Senate. Unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, but fortunately, we have multiple options on the ballot, right? And you had a, cons- or a yeah, constitutionalist who was running who took just enough votes away. And I guarantee none of those people would have voted for the Democrat, right? right? Cody Galloway would have won. So it is unfortunate that we'll not have a Democrat senator for District 15. Um, But there is an update that we should share here. So it was called in District 26 in the House for CB for uh, Karma Meltzler Fitzgerald, 
as the winner by 383 votes. And it turns out that there was a certain type of ballot that wasn't counted correctly. Uh, so that seat is actually flipped to the Republican Jack Nelson by a small margin, only 83 votes. But still a margin. And all it takes is one extra. So that's a House seat? That is a House seat, yes. Okay. And Brian, what what other races have you been uh, had your eye on? Well, I too was disappointed with uh, you know Cody Galloway losing in District 15 for the Senate. Um, I, I did you know my wife and I actually helped to volunteer a little bit, you know, put up some signs and you know did some other events. And I, I was really looking forward to her winning. And you know I am really sympathetic to the argument that we need more choice on the ballot, Constitutional, Libertarian, Green Party, even, but. All too often, it seems that third parties hurt the people they're closest to. Mm-hmm. You know, a Constitution Party on the ballot is not going to hurt the Democrat. It's going to hurt the Republican. And you know, sometimes those Republicans are establishment or moderate or whatever. Uh, but a lot of times, they're, they're not, or at least they're persuadable. And so that's, that is disappointing. Now, something else I wanted to mention, looking at the uh, results actually here in Ada County, where uh, we're based today, uh, the Ada County results break out the... Uh, uh, votes by absentee, early, and election day. And in almost every case here, the absentee voting was heavily favored toward the Democrat, but early voting was favored toward the Republican, and election day voting was heavily favored toward the Republican. And so when they counted those votes, when you logged in at 9 p.m. on Tuesday night, it looked like the Democrats were all winning, but then the Republicans slowly came uh, caught up. And I think that presents just an interesting yeah, we, we could discuss for hours the merits of absentee voting and mail-in voting and uh, if it's tactically wise to continue to allow those things. We will have to have a show on that because I actually talked about that on my TV show, my Keep the Republic TV show. And by the way, for those of you, those of you who are listening, uh, this is the Keep the Republic here on KBXL, but I also have a Keep the Republic radio show on Brighteon Radio. I also have a Keep the Republic TV show on Brighteon.tv. That TV shows on Thursday afternoons, and I, I was talking this past week about the need for us to get rid of machine ballots, the need for us to get rid of early voting. We have an election day in this country. And if you know, for hundreds of years, we voted on election day. And we've been hearing all these arguments that we need to make voting easier. I have no problem if somebody's housebound or old and has a difficult time leaving the house or getting around. I know my dad's 90. He's going to be 91 in a few weeks. Um, You know, he has a tough time getting out and going to the polls. So someone like that, absentee ballot, absolutely, right? If they're going to be in the military, absentee ballot, absolutely. But just to extend open voting, you can go down and vote on, you know, October 26th or whatever it is because you want to vote early. No, no. We could we could fly over this country in the space station, look down on the entire country and look at the lawns, hundreds of thousands, millions of lawns. Right. We could mow every lawn in this country in one hour if everybody had their mowers primed, ready to go. Wait, and then we get, drop the green flag and we mow. Everybody mows, bam, the entire country gets their lawns mowed in one hour. For decades, no, no, for centuries, we ran this country voting on election day and counting the ballots by hand that night. We do not need to open this up to this early voting, which, and I'm holding an article here at the New York Post that talks about this guy who, he said, hey, voting, voter fraud for early voting, mail-in ballots, he said, that's my specialty. Been doing it for decades. So, yeah, that's where all the corruption's happening. We, we hear people talk about voter corruption in Idaho. Do I think it's happening? Actually, I do. I really do. 
I don't think it's happening in voting machines, as Mike Lindell would say. I think it's happening in the early ballots and the mail-in ballots. Sure, I, I agree. As as a poll worker on Tuesday, I got to see the process from beginning to end, and you know, it, it was it was a neat experience to be there for election day from you know start to finish, and also to see the process of how the voters had to show their ID, check in, verify that they are the person who say they say they are, verify that they are registered to vote, or help them register to vote. I know you know there's debate on same day voting, uh, but I felt the process was very secure there. But mail in ballots, absentee ballots with no uh, with the chain of custody is gone. Exactly. And it, it, it's hard to trust. And just look at the numbers. You know, Democrats dominate absentee voting. And I think if the position were reversed, if it were Republicans dominating absentee voting, then the Democrat Party would say as one, we have to ban this. In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. And you know what? Even as a Republican— now, now, I am not in my heart of heart a true I'm actually a, what I would call a Christian libertarian. I'm going to be a libertarian to the point that the Bible allows me to be a libertarian, to stand for those principles. But the party that I'm voting in most off is because the Republican Party platform most aligns with where I stand. Well, if I'm going to be a Republican and I'm going to see cheating on the Republican side, I'm still on principle going to say, stop the early voting. We can vote on the day of the let the best arguments win. Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct. You know, here's the thing that we would have to look at though, right? If you're talking about you vote on this day and that's it, what we need to do is we need to make sure that as Christians, as conservatives, we're paying attention to the judge races. Because you have to look at Arizona and what happened. The Republicans filed saying, hey, the machines were down in Maricopa County and a few other counties for three hours. Can we extend it for three hours? And the judge said, no, I see no reason to do that. So people were denied their right to vote because of a, a judge that decided, hey, I'm going to do whatever I want. And four years ago, similar things happened. And the judge said, yes, we're going to extend. Yeah, exactly. So when it was votes that they knew were going to go, that they could manufacture votes for Joe Biden, now they knew that people were wanting to vote for Kerry Lake in Arizona. And they're going, no. So, by the way, speaking of judges, I happen to agree that there should be a, a rating system for judges. We don't have anything like that. We have no clue what these judges stand for. They're very good at keeping off of social media. And my policy, personally, is when I go to the ballot, uh, the ballot box, when I see a judge's name, unless I know for sure that that guy is a good judge, I vote no. Yeah, that's change, what I did. Change him out. I agree. I, I voted no on all of them just in protest of the system that is giving us these judges to, you know, and asking a question, do we retain them or do we not? Uh, and I think it's very frustrating that you can't really make an informed vote. We're, we're being asked this question. We're given this sacred duty to vote whether or not to retain these judges, but we can't really know what we're doing. We got no information. And yet every single judge, I'm looking at the results here, they won by 75, 76, 77, 78 percent because most people just agree. Yeah, we, we can't do that. Unfortunately, guys, uh, we are out of time. Gosh, we could probably talk. <laughs> well, we'll have to do this again. Uh, but we are talking with Josh Gibbons and Brian Allman here, the debriefing on the election. And I'm going to just say in closing that now is the time to get involved. Don't sit on your laurels. We have an opportunity here to make a difference in the 2024 election. Our job is to start now. We, you've heard it said, we're at war. Well, I was in the military for six years. And you know what? If a, if a country is at war, 
then you don't rest on your laurels. You're always on guard. You're ready to go. And that's what we need to do is, is, is get people in conservative seats in the precinct commitment slots and the local offices. That's our job. Guys, thanks for joining me. You've been tuned in to Keep the Republic here on KBXL. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. Until then, be blessed. Thank you for tuning in to Keep the Republic. If you'd like to support this broadcast and fund Christian conservative candidates, visit conservativesof.com. And for your real estate needs, connect with Carmen Glancy with Homes of Idaho. Also, please pray for our republic and for godly men and women who will work to keep it.